Bibles. Some of you can testify here that having kids changes everything in your life. It just, kids throw a wrench in your plans and they change everything for you. There are numerous examples to illustrate the point. Uh, I'll just share one with you, and I'm sure uh, many, many around the room could share similar stories. There was this one instance when Bethany was gone at a Compass Women's Retreat, and it just so happens to overlap with the same weekend when I was invited to come up and get, be a guest preacher at the church that I was at before I came to Compass, First Baptist Church of Cambria, for their 50th um, anniversary. So the church was 50 years old, and they brought in some former pastors to, to preach for this event. Bethany's out of town. I'm on solo dad duty with two kids at the time. So I strap them in the car and lo- load up the car, strap the kids in, drive five hours up to the central coast, get there. The morning of my sermon, I get all the kids dressed, ready, and in the car, except <clears throat> as I'm picking up Andrew, who is like, I don't know, a year maybe uh, less than a year, as I'm putting him into the car seat, I feel like a cold smear of something on my forearm as I'm putting him in. And I thought I didn't feel like jeans. That felt like something that was sneaking up out of the jeans. Sure enough, it was a full blowout situation. And um, took him back in, full outfit change. And uh, I bring him back out. I set him in the car seat. Stay there, right? I go over to the other side of the car, and Alyssa, I'm strapping her in, and as I'm strapping her in, I look over at Andrew, who had just done the blowout, and I see he's now spit up all over himself. I mean, it was not just like a little a little bit, it was it was it was kind of a lot. So I did what any dad would do, and I looked at him and I said, You might get three strikes with mom. You only get two strikes with dad. You're sitting in that for the whole drive over to this event. So we had like a 20-minute drive, and um, he just sat in it. And when we got there, I wiped, you know, I, I probably wiped it off before we left. But um, we get there. I don't remember. It was a couple years ago. Um, we get there, and he's got his two strikes, right? So I'm, I'm now rushing. The service has started. And I get them to their classes. And I felt a sense of accomplishment when I got them in the car the first time, like dressed and ready to go. We were going to be early. I I built in a little bit of time for a situation like this. There was now two situations that threw things off. Drop them off of their class, run into the church office, take off my backpack to print my notes, which had not been printed yet. And as I'm taking off my backpack, I catch a whiff of something. And I'm like, what was that? And on my backpack strap, to this day, it's a mystery how poop got on the inside of my backpack strap. But it was there on the inside of my backpack. I'm like, what? So that was his third strike. He got it after he was already dropped off in class. And I'm like, how did that even get there? I have no clue. But it was there on the backpack strap. And then I'm printing my notes. And every time I turn this way, I smell it what is it? Where is it? And then sure enough, like right here on my shirt. And when I realize this is when the notes are coming off the printer and they're introducing me. And so I just grabbed the notes and I, I didn't say that I was smelling poop smells the whole time, but I was um, because it was there. 
so that, I mean, that's just one example of many of the wrench or wrenches that, that kids will throw into your plans and into your life. And it's great. They're beautiful wrenches, right? Um, we love those wrenches. But you can't just, when you have kids, you can't just carry on as if you didn't have kids. The days of just hopping out of the car and walking into the grocery store are over, right? You're now like, you've got bags and things that you are loading and bringing and car seats and, and just everything changes, and you have to adapt, you have to, you have to change in light of the new reality. And um, there are several things in life that are this way. There's a reality, and it has implications on the way we live. And the resurrection is what we get to talk about for the next several weeks here on the weekends and in Thrive. And the resurrection is at the center of the Bible as the linchpin that changes everything. We cannot just go through life as if it doesn't exist, as if it's not a reality. We cannot, we're not free to go through life forgetting the reality of the resurrection because of what it is. If we know it, it must impact the way we think, the way we speak, the decisions we make, the goals we set, what we value, what we do, and it changes everything, and um, it would be tragic to go through life knowing the reality of the resurrection, but not living between now and then as if it existed. And more often than not, we, we can find ourselves uh, forgetting or just not, not having this fundamental concept at the forefront of our minds. We, we find ourselves forgetting and... Um, going through days and going through life without thinking about it, which is why we need the church, which is why we need to hear preaching and to be reminded of what the reality is, what really matters, and this is why we, uh, ho hopefully you attend ministries like Thrive where you circle up, you sit around the table, you talk to each other about how life is different and ought to continue to change to be different in light of this reality. So this is the start of several weeks of studying something that is of the utmost importance, importance, and I'm super excited to get into it with you. So if you were with us over the weekend, we got into Luke chapter 24, and Pastor Mike preached on the first 12 verses of Luke 24. The first point was to reconsider the problem of death, and he said reconsider because a lot of us... Um, as Americans in the 21st century carry some baggage about the concept of death, and we need to reconsider the reality of it. Death is the last enemy to be defeated. It's not a part of life. It's not something to um, laugh about at a funeral or make light of at a funeral, as he talked about. Um, it is a problem, and let's call it a problem. It is the antithesis of life, and let's have the sort of aversion to it that we were designed to have. So reconsider the problem of death. The Bible calls it an enemy. Let's do the same thing. Point number two was to celebrate God's campaign for life. He stressed that we don't talk about the resurrection enough. It's not the topic of conversation as often as it should be. 
It doesn't have the sort of impact that it should have. And so here's an opportunity for us to remind each other that this ought to be something that we celebrate and that we think about often in our lives. And I think there's a way for us to leverage our marriages to do this better. And so we're going we're gonna to talk more about point number two. But let me just remind you about point number three, which was to grapple with Christ's resurrection. Pastor Mike talked about um, different people throughout history who have um, spent significant chunks of their lives devoted to thinking about this, studying this, and writing on this. And there's a lot of valuable resources out there that argue, that make a strong case for the resurrection. And that's a good example for us to devote effort and energy and thought to the resurrection. If you have doubts about it or questions or don't have the sort of firm resolve and conviction and belief that the resurrection is in fact reality, that one day since Jesus rose from the dead, that one day we too will rise and that this life is not all that there is. If you, if you don't have the sort of firm, settled convictions about that, then spend some time grappling with it. And I think what you'll find is a strong case to believe what Luke chapter 24 says, that on the third day, the tomb was empty, Jesus had risen from the dead. There was a real bodily resurrection. So let's hone in on point number two, celebrate God's campaign for life because, as I said, I think you can help your spouse to do that. One of the many values of being married is you can team up and help each other to do things like this. Point number two, celebrate God's campaign for life together. Leverage your marriage to help you in this way. Do this as married couples. Celebrate the resurrection. Think about the resurrection as a couple. Talk about the resurrection as a couple. I think when you do that, you'll find that it changes your goals, really believing that Jesus rose from the dead and you will too. It changes your goals in this life. It changes what success is in this life. How you define and measure success is drastically affected by the resurrection. And if as a couple you talk about this and you believe this together, your goals and your definitions of success together change. And I think also your tasks throughout the day can be redeemed for eternally lasting value. Your routines, your tasks, your jobs... Your duties can be redeemed and used for um, things that have an eternal sort of significance and an eternal sort of impact. And as soon as I say that, your knee-jerk reaction might be, oh, he's going to say I should come to church more, I should read my Bible more, I should pray more, I should do more things that um, fall into that category of lasting for eternity. And I think there's there's stuff to talk about there. Yeah, sure, let's talk about reading our Bibles more. Let's talk about coming to church more. Like, there, Sure, but I don't think that's the overarching solution here. 
I want to make a case to you tonight that part of the solution is looking at the mundane tasks in life and looking at the non-spiritual tasks in life and um, going about them, doing them in such a way that you do them to the glory of God. You do them with um, a God-fearing, God-honoring, Christ-exalting sort of motivation, a sort of worshipful way. And when you do that, whether you're doing the dishes or driving to work or uh, going about your daily work, you do whatever it is that you're doing to the glory of God. And you inject eternally significant um, work and mindset into the most mundane of tasks. That's, I think, our calling as Christians is to go about all of life, whether it is reading your Bible in the morning or driving to work, you do it in such a way that you, you, you exalt Christ and you uh, do it to the glory of God. So we need to continue all of our non-spiritual activities, if we want to call them that. All of the non-sacred, I don't like the distinction, you'll see why in just a second, but all of the non-sacred activities, let's continue doing them. Celebrating God's campaign for life does not mean that we pull out of society and huddle up into a corner and read our Bibles all the time. Celebrating God's campaign for life involves continuing all of our non-spiritual activities to the glory of God. And sure, let's add some specifically spiritual tasks to our life as is good, but let's view all of life as lived to the glory of God. If you're a Christian if you've put your trust in Christ, then your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price, and um, your whole life is for the Lord. So, as I'm saying these things, there's sacred work, there's, there's non-sacred work. I made a chart, and hopefully it will clarify what I'm saying here. So on the left vertical column, we've got non-spirit, just bear with me with these categories, okay? Non-spiritual activities, doing the dishes, uh, driving in your car, brushing your teeth, whatever. Then on the, on the right vertical column, we've got spiritual activities. And those are things that are more specifically um, spiritual, like meditating on Scripture, re- you know, reading and memorizing the Bible and attending church and being in a small group and um, those kinds of things. On the horizontal, we've got Non, so now we're talking about motivations here and kind of what's driving the activities. You've got non-spiritual motivations. You're not thinking about the reality of the resurrection. You're not thinking about um, doing whatever it is to the glory of God. You're just doing it without a thought about God at all. And then you have spiritual motivations where you, where you do consciously think, I'm doing these dishes for the glory of God. And there is a song in your heart. You're praising the Lord. You're thinking. You're praying. You, you've, you are, um, as best you can, doing your activity with a motivation that is spiritual. So bear with me on those categories. So you can see 
box number one, box number two, box number three, number four, let me, I think I spell it out here. Okay, so you've got box number one is non-spiritual activities with non-spiritual motivations. Going through life with the reality of the resurrection on your mind, uh, we're, we're missing it there with, point, with box number one. Box number two, just adding spiritual activities to your life doesn't mean that you are now living in light of the resurrection because it's entirely possible to add some good thing to your life for all the wrong reasons and not be living in light of the resurrection like, a, like we're talking about doing here. Now, at the bottom tier, you've got number three, which is a non-spiritual activity that you're now doing in such a way that is um, spiritually motivated, living in light of the resurrection. Then you've got spiritual activities with spiritual motivations. Um, Obviously, I want to be in box number three and box number four. The solution is not to just migrate over to the right vertical column and just do spiritual things all the time, but to do the non-spiritual things and the spiritual things in such a way that it pleases the Lord. So, um, for some of you, this concept and these words is the same old concept and um, things that you've maybe heard before, and maybe you hear this kind of stuff, and you think, oh, yeah, yeah, I really should um, think about God more. I really should pray more. I really should, you know, you can start to beat yourself up about this and go through the feeling bad stage and then kind of forget about it tomorrow or next week or whatever. Um, I just, I want to, I want to challenge you and, and us as a ministry. We get to think about these things for the next few weeks and talk about this stuff. And this this is the, the way we go through life today, tomorrow, every day. Let's help each other in our small groups and help each other in your marriages to um, not let this just be a, another thing that you hear and you talk about and, and you forget about. I'm challenging you to put this on your mind as you go through life because the resurrection, the reality of Christ rising from the dead and the future reality of us doing the same ought to change everything for us. So, a question to ask is, what is one practical thing you can do or begin in your marriage to better reflect the reality of the resurrection? It's wide open. You can brainstorm, share an idea, share something you have done, share something that you would like to start doing, and... um, as a small group, hold each other accountable to uh, living this way. So let me pray, and then you can go have great discussions in your groups. God, thank you for this night and this opportunity to think about these things. We recognize that it's a grace, that it, it is your grace giving us a chance to think about these truths and talk about these truths and to be reminded of these things. So help us, Lord, help us to uh, talk about these things in in a way that uh, really challenges us to grow in ways that you want us to grow. And I pray, God, that uh, in our marriages, that that we would have uh, marriages where we, we help each other in these sorts of ways, 
and uh, that in all of it, God, you are pleased and that our lives are, um, are, are changed because of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray, amen.